Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. And uh, pray early against sickness that comes on. Amen. Some that were going to be here and now sick. I got one text and then I got another text. And I thought, oh, they're starting to drop like flies. Amen. So we don't want that happening. Amen. We want you to be whole. Amen. And well. So you can be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter number 21. Acts chapter number 21. I'm going to finish up this chapter here tonight. And as I said last week, Acts 21 is a, a, a little bit more of a challenge uh, whenever it comes to just uh, bringing application out of what's in Acts chapter 21. But I think there's, there are things there that we can apply to our life or that can uh, give us instruction. We know that for a fact. The Word of God tells us plainly. Uh, that all scripture is profitable for doctrine and instruction and things of that nature. And so there are things in here uh, that we can learn from. Acts 21, going to start reading in verse number 17. Amen here tonight. And uh, we'll go on down to verse number 26. So a little lengthy reading, uh, but I'll be standing longer than you are, so it's okay. Amen. Uh, Acts 21 and verse 17. The Bible says, And when we were come to Jerusalem... The brethren received us gladly, and the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. If you remember, here we are. Paul's finally met his destination that he's been trying to get to, and that is Jerusalem. Verse 19, and when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them. That they may shave their heads and all may know that those things, may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing. But that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. So that's just a segment here of the chapter that will get us started here tonight. Uh, To entitle this lesson, I entitled it basically this, Clarity Without Confusion. I know that may seem redundant, but you'll understand that better by and by. Clarity Without Confusion. 
Amen. Let's go to the Lord that he would open our minds and hearts for this evening. Father, God, I come to you this evening. I'm asking, oh God, that you would open our minds and our hearts to your word. God, you're able to speak, Lord, as you would best see fit, Lord, and as you would devise, Lord, in this place. We pray, oh Lord, minister, God. I pray, Lord, through your word, bring understanding. God, let there be points, Lord Jesus, of teaching. I pray, God, that we can learn, God, of you, Lord, through, God, your word. And we'll be appreciative and thankful for in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. And so the Apostle Paul has finally arrived. In spite of all of the bonds and afflictions that different ones had warned him about, whenever he would arrive at Jerusalem, he made it there nonetheless. And he's still determined as ever to get there, and so he arrives. And although these things were looming, or the idea of bonds and affliction were looming, he must have had a certain sense of relief in finally arriving at Jerusalem since he had been bound in spirit or determined in spirit to make it there and to reach there. So there must be some type of consolation in finally having arrived. And all seems, as we read in our scripture text here tonight, all seems to begin very well. Paul and those that accompanied him, because he did have some other companions that accompanied him from various places, all seems to begin well. Amen. Most of these that accompanied Paul were Gentile people. And the Bible says that the elders at Jerusalem, and James, the pastor of Jerusalem, they all gladly received them. Paul then began to share with James because it's been some time since he'd been in Jerusalem. Begins to share with the pastor of the Jerusalem church and the elders what God had done among the Gentiles and what God had done through the ministry of Paul. And whenever Paul makes mention of these things, as always, which is Paul's regular way of conveying what God has done, Paul doesn't take any glory for these things. He didn't have any glory to take for that matter. But he wasn't trying to, uh, if you will, uh, fluff his own pillow. He made all the glory and all the honor uh, given unto the Lord for what happened among the Gentile believers. And as everything seemed to be well and everybody was glad, you know, things just can't go well forever. And so there was a switch in the environment. There was a switch in the, the surroundings. Uh, since Paul brought up the Gentile believers, then the elders thought, well, we'll bring up the Jewish believers. And we'll particularly bring up those who were very zealous of the law uh, concerning the law of Moses. And what the elders and the pastor James had to say to Paul was this, that basically there was some information information that was kind of circling around. You know how the rumor mill starts and the grapevine goes. Uh, there were some things going around about Paul that, Paul, it's been spoken that, that you teach and people are under the impression that you are teaching the Jews, that the Jews that are among the Gentiles, you're teaching them to forsake the law of Moses. And it's going around that you're teaching them not to circumcise their Jewish people, but teaching them not to circumcise uh, their kids. And you're teaching them not to follow the Jewish customs. Well, Paul knew as soon as he heard all those things that uh, they were greatly misinformed. 
that yes, Paul had taught some things about not circumcising, but he was speaking unto the Gentiles. If you'll remember all the way back, this is Acts chapter 15. There were some Jews at that time that were purporting and teaching that in order for a Gentile to be saved, that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. But you'll remember the argument of Acts 15 that those Gentile people received the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost just like the Jews did with evidence of speaking in tongues and they did not necessarily have to be circumcised. That was an old testament owed law under the law now we're living under the the element of grace and the cross of christ and so paul and barnabas in acts 15 took issue with the teaching that was circulating about the gentiles needing to be circumcised in order to be saved you can read of it in acts 15 and verse number one the bible says and certain men which came down from judea taught the brethren and said except ye be circumcised after the manner of moses ye cannot be saved that was untrue that was untrue a gentile could be saved without being circumcised and furthermore the whole discussion there at jerusalem at that time in acts 15 paul and barnabas also debunked the idea that these new gentile believers had to keep the law of Moses, meaning the ceremonial law and the civil law of Moses in order to be saved because that was circling around too. Not only do you need to be circumcised, but you need to keep all the ceremonial laws of Moses. You need to keep all the seven feasts. You need to keep all the five offerings that the Old Testament prescribed. But again, that was an untruth because the Gentiles had received the very same spirit of God as the Jews, having not been circumcised or not abiding by those particular ceremonial laws the bible states this in acts 15 and verse 5 but there rose up certain of the sect of the pharisees those are law keepers which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them speaking of the gentiles and to command them to keep the law of moses again that's incorrect the only part of the law of moses that carried over from the old testament to the new testament wasn't the ceremonial law it was the moral law it was the law of the Ten Commandments that Moses got on top of the mountain. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't bear false witness against your neighbor. You shouldn't have any other gods. All those things went on and prescribed and carried over into the New Testament. So if the Gentiles was to keep any part of the law of Moses, it were those. Those that applied to the moral law of God. Because the moral law of God does not change. From generation to generation to generation. But the ceremonies that they did in the Old Testament of their sacrifices and their offerings. All of those things, the law wasn't so much done away with as it was fulfilled. Those things were fulfilled in the man Christ Jesus. He was the sacrifice to end all the other sacrifices that had ever been done from the Old Testament time up to the present, even in the New Testament. And so the only reason Paul would ever advise against the Jews circumcising their children or would advise the Jews from keeping their cultural ceremonial laws was if they were doing those things thinking that it was going to help them to secure salvation. Now, in that sense, Paul would absolutely tell them, you don't need to be circumcised Jews for the purpose of salvation because that's not the venue, that is not the way by which it comes. So that's the only way that Paul would advise against the Jews, against these cultural things that they had, if they thought that they had to work, if you will, do these type of works for salvation. However, Paul would 
would very soon has already in certain terms has already told these Jewish believers that did have some of these cultural things and ceremonial practices he would re-emphasize to them over again as I've already spoken to you that those things were fulfilled in the life and the death of Christ Jesus that they really didn't have the meaning that they used to have prior to Calvary Amen. I mean, used to, they would put up a sacrifice to push what? Their sins forward for a year to be dealt with again. But now that Christ, the Lamb of God, had been slain, he was the sacrifice to in all sacrifices. There's not needful or necessary another sacrifice. No one else has to die. No more animal has to lose its life. No more blood has to be shed from a bull or a goat. The blood of Christ Jesus was the perfect blood. Amen. That was needful and necessary for the salvation of all of humanity and so whenever you read as a matter of fact you got a real good book in your bible that kind of does this comparison thing and it's called the book of hebrews hebrews in essence is practically a whole book that's dedicated and devoted to this concept because it's in the book of Hebrews that they're constantly trying to show this old feast or this old way or this old sacrifice. This is how this thing was fulfilled in the life of Christ Jesus. That old offering, those five different part, five different offerings that you had. Here's how those things, as the writer says in the New Testament, they were just a shadow of better things to come. And that better thing to come was the man, Christ Jesus. And so if Paul was going to tell them anything, he was going to tell them that. All those things were fine for a time, but you're still living in the shadow once the substance has already come. Amen? You're still living in the shadow now that the, the, the real thing that's been casting the shadow, the man Christ Jesus, he is here, he is alive, and he can take away the sins of the world. Amen, if you allow him to. And so that was great. Not only that, if you'll remember, again, this is kind of a little bit of review tonight since he went this direction. Paul did. I didn't. Amen. He went this direction. Paul and Barnabas had preached that it was through Jesus Christ that all individuals, everyone, could be justified. It's a fancy word. We usually break it down like this, and you've heard it probably broken down like this before. Justified is simply explained like this. Whenever you meet Christ and he, you take his work of Calvary, his death and burial and resurrection upon you in your life through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it's just as if you never sinned. Justified. Just as if you never done it. Amen. And that can only happen by Christ Jesus. And they, they, they said very plainly, flat-footed this, that there was no one that was ever justified by the law of Moses. The Bible says in Acts 13, verses 38 and 39, reaching backward just a little bit here tonight, it says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, Jesus Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So here is that concept again. If they are misunderstanding Paul, they're misunderstanding him to think that he's saying the law of Moses is no good. Well, it was no good for salvation. No man can be justified by the law. It was no good for salvation, the ceremonial part or aspect of the law. It was no good for salvation. And so, here is Paul. He had told the Gentiles this. 
you don't, the Gentiles, he said, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And you don't have to follow the Mosaic law. And he's referring to the ceremonial laws. You don't have to follow the, the law of Moses in order to be saved. What you need to do is invest yourself in Jesus Christ. Peter, even at that discussion in Acts 15, where there's a lot of controversy going about, should you be circumcised, shouldn't be circumcised, back and forth, you can read of it. Peter, who was there on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 at Jerusalem, when the Spirit of God first fell, amen, he was there. He stood up among them at this, this discussion, this disagreement, Acts 15 and verse 11. And he says, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, even as they. And I pointed this out several lessons ago. Peter did not say they, speaking of the Gentiles, they shall be saved even as us, us Jews. He didn't say the Gentiles should be saved as the Jews, but the opposite. He said we, us Jews, shall be saved even as they or the Gentiles, because the pattern of the Gentile was this. It didn't require circumcision. It didn't require the ceremonial law of Moses. All it required was faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and following the pattern of his death, his burial, and his resurrection by virtue of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Spirit. And so somebody's been misinformed. Because Paul hasn't been going around saying the Jews can't circumcise, Jews can't follow the law. In part, that's part of their culture. In part, that's part of their culture. But the, the, the elders here at the Jerusalem church and James, they're saying, Paul, we need to get this matter figured out. They asked him in verse 22, what is it therefore? Where do you stand in this? What, what are you teaching the Jews? What are you teaching the Gentiles? Is it the same? Is it different? And so the elders need to know because what's happening right now it's right around the time of the feast of Pass or the feast of Pentecost. We have Jews and Gentiles from all over the place convening here. We're having a mixed group, Jew and Gentile, and we need to know what you've been teaching because they're going to see you. And if they've been misinformed, they're going to be thinking one thing. The Gentiles are going to think we're going to have a bad situation on our hands. And so we need to know what is going to happen. And so. I don't know how confident I am about this, and you'll understand why here in a little bit. And so the elders in James suggested something to Paul in order to clear all of this up, to clear up any confusion that these Jews that are zealous toward the law may have. Here's the advice that they gave Paul. I don't, I don't really, I'm really, I've really warred with this. I'm not sure about this advice right here, uh, the, 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 the whole intent of it. They said, Paul, there's basically four guys you can read it. We read it. There's four guys. They're, they're keeping a vow. It's coming up on them that they're going to be going to the temple. They're going to be offering offerings and sacrifices for purification. We want you, when they go to the temple, we want you to go to the temple. And we want you to go through seven days of purification. And the, 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 the sacrifices that are needful for them ending this vow, we want you, you take charges. You know what that meant, Paul? We want you to help pay. We want you to help pay for these sacrifices and these offerings that they're going to need. And so that whenever the Jews come and see you taking activity and participating in seven days of purification, they'll say, well, Paul's not against the ceremonial aspects of the Jews. He's a Jew himself, and look at him. He's participating in all this. And so all those misinformed Jews will see you doing this, 
and they'll know that you don't have anything against them. Now that sounds like, you know what? That sounds like that just might work. That sounds like that that might settle the issue, you know, and take, you know, he don't, Paul is very mindful. He's very mindful. He don't want to see anybody lost, man. He, he doesn't want this to be a, a place of contention that these Jews then won't come to know the Lord because of all this stuff. So he's trying to be very mindful of all that. And the elders, is everybody doing okay? All right, okay. And the elders and, and, and James, the pastor there, he's saying, and for that matter, we've already made it known. Back in Acts 15, we've already made it known what was required of the Gentiles. What they, they didn't, we told them they didn't need to reserve, observe the law. They just need to keep from things offered to idols and keep from eating or partaking of blood and keep from things strangled and keep from fornication. That We just boiled it all down to that. So they know they don't have to observe it. And so whenever they see you doing this, surely, surely, they won't think anything now here's the thing that I personally have a little difficulty with here tonight because although the Jews may have seen Paul going into the temple doing a rite of purification paying for the sacrifices although they may have seen Paul doing that and they knew what he was doing because they were Jews they knew all the ceremonies of the law they were, acquainted, I mean, they were acquainted with their laws. You know, if you go to another country, you're not going to be acquainted with their laws. But they know them because they're Jews. That's their culture. That's who they are. But I wonder tonight this. I pose this question. I wonder how Paul going through the rite of purification in the temple and paying for those sacrifices for purification was viewed by the Gentiles that was not familiar with the laws of the Jewish people. How did they view Paul in there going through a rite of purification when they have heard him teaching that purity and purification comes through Christ Jesus? Are you following me? The Bible says in Titus 2 and verse number 11, where Paul wrote to Titus, he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Who? Who? Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And everybody say, and purify. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Paul had been a teacher, and he underscored the fact that Jesus Christ was the purifier. Jesus Christ was the one that made people pure and made the one people whole. And that Jesus Christ was the only sacrifice that was needful and necessary. So I'm asking how would the Gentiles, who may not be familiar to, to the Jewish ceremonies, how would they interpret the Apostle Paul paying for himself a sacrifice for his own purification and for that of others whenever he was a teacher that Jesus Christ was the one that purifies? Do you see the rub? Huh? You see the rub? Now, what Paul was doing was this. Now, listen, Paul wasn't trusting in these sacrifices or trusting in this act of right of purification for his salvation. Wasn't doing that at all. As a matter of fact, as one scholar said, Paul was not denying the finished work of Christ by offering animal sacrifices because he himself had already written in several of the epistles before this moment 
Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He had written time and time again that stated otherwise, that it took Christ Jesus for the purpose of salvation. As a matter of fact, in the very next two chapters in, in Acts 23, Paul's going to even say that everything he had done up to that point in time, he was void. He was, he was void. He, didn't have, he did not violate his own conscience. He, in other words, he must have felt like everything he did was okay. But here's the question we got to ask ourselves. He might not have violated his own conscience, but could have he had violated somebody else's conscience that didn't have the same knowledge that he had? What are you saying? I'm, okay, here we go. Somebody, somebody, I don't know, somebody from uh, out of state comes here, let's say, and uh, uh, Brother Fred, let's say that the uh, arms on a railroad track that come down are down and they're stuck. All right? And let's say that there is a police officer there and he is waving people through. We all know that is okay, right? As long as there's an officer and he's given the go to do that, that is fine. But let's say somebody from another country that do not understand our laws or things see that and he is not by one chance going to cross over that railroad track, right? Because he's from a place that he doesn't have the understanding that you and I have. That as long as the officer is there, that is okay, that is fine, Right? And so we have a certain scenario here. What's happening? We have a certain scenario here. Paul is involved in something, and he's doing something that he has a clear conscience because he understands that's just ceremony. But there's another group of people there, the Gentiles, that don't have the understanding that Paul has. Is this making any better sense for anybody? And so with that said, Paul might not violate his own conscience, but he's violating somebody else's conscience that, you know what, that's not right because they don't have the same knowledge that Paul has. See, the Bible states this in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 7. I'm telling you, these are deep waters we're trudging to here tonight. And I'm sorry, but this is, just, this is just chapter 21. That's where we're at. In 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 7, look what, what, look what the apostle said himself. He said, how be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. And he was speaking of some things uh, aforementioned, but he said, there's not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled in other words he's talking about there's some people that would eat 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 meat that had been offered to to or been offered to an idol and one person said that's not right another person said that's okay he said well there's a brother of weak conscience that will not eat it because he thinks it's not okay he says but what the revelation and knowledge he doesn't have there's really no such thing as an idol at all said well yeah there, there's there's wood and stone yeah but there is real it has no purpose it can't do anything for you it can't save you it is not alive he says so in other words it's given over to something that is non-existent I know it's there you can see it you can feel it and you can touch it but it can't intervene on the behalf of mankind it can't bring redemption and he says so with that being said he said, so what he's saying is he said and since this man don't have that knowledge he says you abstain totally from eating for the sake of that man because he don't have the same knowledge that you have. Since you might be have a clear conscience, but you could do something to harm him because he don't have the same knowledge that you've got. Amen. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 29, he says, conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. 
For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? In other words, said, why would I do or not do something because of somebody else's conscience? That's what it comes down to. Why would I do or not do something because of some, why would there another man's conscience judge my liberty of what I can or cannot do? He tells us then in verse 32, he says, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. It comes down to those things we talked about a long time ago about controversial issues. Huh? I know it comes down to personal convictions that sometimes you don't do anything because it may harm the conscience of somebody that is convicted over something. Might not be a right or wrong issue. It might be a personal conviction issue, but you abstain because if you were to go down that road, in other words, I'm, you know, Jews still yet today, by most part, don't eat pork. Don't eat pork. Don't do it. So it would be quite offensive for you to belly up to a table full of Jews and to start getting out a piece of ham for the sake that maybe they don't have the same understanding that we have, it would be best just to abstain from that. You're not doing anything immoral. All right? You're just trying to protect a situation. And so here's Paul. He's not doing anything immoral. He's not doing anything unbiblical. But something is going on here. Could it be that Paul was trying to act as he often said? For instance, in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, he says, For though I be free from all men... Yet have I made myself servant to all that I might gain the more. You remember him saying this? And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, note the parentheses, being not without law to God but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might all, by all means save some. Look at verse 23. Why did you do this, Paul? And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker whereof, thereof with you. Now listen to me. So Paul says, there's times then among the Jews, he said, I acted such a way so that I might win them. Or among the Gentiles that I might win then. They may have some cultural things as long as it's not unbiblical, as long as it's not immoral. He said, I might participate to find level ground with them, commonality with them. And he said, the reason why I do this is purely for the gospel's sake. So that maybe I could, you know, a lot of times they say, you know, people could care less about you. But if you can find some common ground with somebody, you can really strike up a conversation. You can forge a friendship. But it takes finding that commonality. And so Paul's saying, I try to find that common ground with whomever I'm around so that I might perpetuate the gospel. So I might get the gospel in there. And so I'm confident tonight. I know this is a long way around. But I'm confident tonight that the Apostle Paul when he went into that temple to do that rite of purification for seven days and pay for their sacrifices, I'm confident, knowing the Apostle Paul, that he had the right motive in what he did. All right? I'm sure he had the right motive. I'm sure he became, if you will, in that moment as a Jew uh, to the Jews without any act of immorality. Amen. In what he was doing. I'm certain he didn't. I'm certain he's the Apostle Paul. I have his writings. I'm certain he wasn't trusting that right of purification for his own purification. I'm certain, amen, that he knew that the sacrifice of Jesus is still what atoned for him. I'm certain of all of that. But here at Pentecost, he's not just among Jews. He has Jews and he has Gentiles. 
And even when he's at the temple, there's a court of the Gentiles. He wasn't just among Jews. He was among a mixed crowd of Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's motive was right. But listen to me. This is, this is pastor tonight. Paul's motive was right. But I'm not sure how thoroughly he considered how this may appear to the less knowledgeable Gentiles. Paul didn't do anything immoral. But this act could have bred some confusion in the minds of less knowledgeable Gentiles. And our Bible says, many of you have quoted before of Romans 14, 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. Paul's done all of this, this rite of purification, the pain for the sacrifice, he's done all of this for the sake of the Jews. But more plainly, he's done it for the misinformed Jews. He's done it for the misinformed Jews. And so here's where I stand this evening concerning this. Here's where I'm at. And here's sometimes where I'm at, even within the setting of the church setting of the modern day. Listen to me very carefully. You take anything else home in your brain, you take this home and listen to me well. We must be careful what we do to bring clarity to people that have been misinformed about us. So that in the process, we are not confusing others of what they know is true about us. That's a mouthful. But if you listen to it, it makes sense. In the process of trying to be clear to other folks, you can make yourself confusing to someone that already knew who you were and what you preached and what you stood for. I got certain things in this church that I walk a fine line with that in. I try to be clear so that people that are misinformed understand who we are and where we are. But in the process of that, I'm trying not to become confusing to the ones who already, already realize what our message is and what we teach. Yeah, someone say, right? So it's, at times it can be a fine line. At times, our actions or our inactions may not be unbiblical, they may not be immoral, but they could confuse somebody else that doesn't have the same knowledge that we have. Mm-hmm. Might not have the same knowledge about the Bible like you've got or the same knowledge about God like you got. And so we must be careful. You saying the Apostle Paul made a mistake? He could have. He was flesh and blood like the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. He could have. Amen. Motive, I believe, was pure. Didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but it could have brought some confusion to the Gentiles. Whenever he said, everything else is summed up in Jesus Christ. Purity all summed up in him, and then practice in a right. You understand what I'm saying? That could have brought a little fog into the arena. Acts 21 and verse 27, the Bible states these words. And when, you should get a degree from just what we went through. And when the seven days were almost ended... The Jews which were of Asia, here we are again. Boy, they've been some folks out of Asia that's always causing problems, it seems. In the Bible, that is. When they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man, they're talking about Paul, that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and have polluted this holy place. For they had been, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they suppose that Paul had brought into the temple. 
So we got some Jews from Asia. Uh, typically, they have caused some problems for Paul when he's been in their uh, surroundings and their cities. Now that they are at the Feast of Pentecost, they're stirring up trouble in Jerusalem. They're pointing out Paul, and they're giving some wrong, negative uh, allegations against the Apostle Paul. Their complaints are unfounded, but that doesn't matter. We all know that. There would be something said about you that's unfounded, but honey, you get enough people saying it, so people start to believe it. So their statements are unfounded, but honey, it starts to spread. Amen. And it goes like wildfire. And they basically said this, the apostle Paul, he teaches against the Jewish people. Well, he's a Jew himself. He teaches against the Jewish people. He teaches against, here we go again, the Mosaic law. He teaches against the city of Jerusalem. And for that matter, the other day, you've all seen that he was in the temple. The other day, he had one of those Greek companions, Trophimus, and I suppose that he took him even into the temple. Suppose is a key word there. Suppose is a key word there. And so when we look at these, the first three, the first three he teaches against the Jewish people, the Mosaic law, the city of Jerusalem, the first three more or less and nothing more but lies, or they've been misinformed. But the last one of him taking a Greek into the temple and polluting it, that's nothing but them supposing. That's nothing but them assuming. Now, the temple was this. The temple had the, the, the outermost court in the temple there was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could go into that court. And then there was a court for the women. And then further in, there was a court for the Israelites. And then further in, there was the court of the priests. And then you had that place where the holy place was and the lampstands and the shoe bread. And then there was the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. So all the way out there, the furthest from everything was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could go there. But if if, you, if a Gentile went any further than there, they had signs that was posted that if a Gentile were to go past that line, penalty was possible death immediately. And so for a Gentile to go beyond there meant that he could very well die. But they're saying that Paul brought this Gentile that had been with him into the temple beyond the court of the Gentiles past that line. And instead of killing the Gentile, they're saying we're going to kill Paul. Now this is a bunch of uh, baloney. And for that matter, they're assuming, they are assuming that this is what Paul done. And that assumption, that supposition, here now, Paul is on the verge of being incarcerated, and wrongfully so, based upon somebody's supposition or somebody's assumption. Let me tell you, folks, our assumptions even today are very powerful. That assumption was so powerful, it placed a man that was innocent incarcerated. Because somebody assumed. I tell you what, we would, we would do ourselves real well if we would keep our assumptions to ourselves. And if we are assuming something about someone in particular, it might be best to go to the source. Huh? They're not very positive things that come about, particularly here from the assumptions or the suppositions that were against the Apostle Paul. All right? Now, here, look at this. He's going to be taken. The city's moved. There's a riot. There's a mob going on as a result of all this, all these allegations that are against him that people are swallowing, and they're not checking the validity of them. And so he's going to be incarcerated. You know what the funny thing is concerning? It's not funny, but I just kind of the character of the Apostle Paul here. Paul was imprisoned. Paul was taken as a prisoner, but he never considered himself to be a prisoner of men. 
Yeah. He was taken prisoner. He was in prison quite a lot for the rest of the book of Acts. But he never considered himself a, pris a prisoner of men. By, by and large, the apostle Paul thought of himself be to be imprisoned by the will and the purpose of God. As a matter of fact, what bears that out, and there's other verses of Scripture you can find in Philippians and some of his epistles, but one case in point is Ephesians 3 and 1. Notice how he opens this chapter. He says, for this cause I, Paul. Uh, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of what? Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He said, the Jews might have laid their hand on me and the Romans might have been instrumental and put me behind bars. He said, but I don't count myself a prisoner of men. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, because though I'm in prison and I may physically be bound, God's word is not bound. I'm sitting here writing epistles and I'm writing letters and the word is still getting out. I'm still an instrument, amen, used for the purpose. I'm God's prisoner. I am God's prisoner. And so Paul had that type of, he had that way. He could take that negative situation where people had incarcerated him and he said, you know what? I must, I must not be where I am, amen, if it wasn't for the will of God. God can take this thing and he can work it for my good. He can, he can make something good come out of it. You take that seed and just throw all the dirt you want on it, sooner or later it's gonna sprout through the soil. You understand what I'm talking about? He said, we're gonna make this turn out well. And so there are certain aspects again we're at this place where there's certain aspects of the story of the apostle Paul here that remind us and that parallel the story of Jesus Christ because here Paul is the Jews apprehend Paul they're going to go forth and they're going to man they're starting to beat him uh, a little adventurous here thinking of killing him but the Roman soldiers hear of this riot and this mob that's taking place in the city of Jerusalem. They come to see about it. And so the Jews end up having to turn Paul over to the Romans. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. The Jews turned Jesus over to the Romans. And then the Romans asked the question that they even asked of Jesus. What has this man done? That's the same question that they asked of the Apostle Paul. What has this man done? Or even who is this man? And the Bible says the responses are very similar between Jesus' account and between Paul's account. The Bible says some cried one thing and some cried another. Folks, that's what happened to Jesus. That's a, if Paul was wanting to be like Jesus, boy, he's getting real close to him. <laughs> That's what was happening to Paul. Some were crying one thing, some were crying another. And then the Bible said the crowds in this mob started to shout, amen, and to the Romans, away with him. Those are the exact words that they spoke of Jesus. Away with him, crucify him. That's basically what that meant in New Testament scripture in that world in Jerusalem. They said away with the man, kill him, crucify him. The exact same words that were spoken of Jesus. So Paul, when you said you wanted the, that I might know him, and in his suffering, you 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 walking a tightrope here, Paul. I mean, if, if he was the example and you're trying to pattern your life, man, there's a lot of similarities that's going on right here, Paul. They bound him with two chains. The crowd was so violent. Listen, listen how violent this crowd was. The Bible says that the soldiers had to bear the body of Paul. In other words, they had to lift him above the crowd because this crowd is just so against and turned on Paul. They're wanting to get at him. So the soldiers are literally, you can read it in your scriptures, they're literally carrying him upon their shoulders. They're being born of him. You can read it in verse 35. They're carrying him through the crowd up the stairs. But these Roman people, several of the Romans, the Roman government, several of them did not know who Paul was. They heard the stories. 
They've heard what the Jews said he was or what he was doing. They've heard all the, but they didn't know personally who Paul was. And that was some of the information that they wanted to know. Not just what did he do, but who is he? And so whenever Paul turned to the chief captain, and this is, this is just me just kind of paraphrasing the rest of this chapter. Whenever Paul turned to the chief captain of the Roman soldiers, and he said, sir, can I speak to the crowd? The crowd that's wanting to moment. I'd like to say a few words. I don't know. It's either faith or I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes there's a thin line between faith and stupidity. But I believe Paul was exercising faith. He knew what he was doing. He said, guys, can you put me down for a moment? So I want to address these folks. And that chief of the captain, he mistook him just in a moment because he didn't know he was. He said, oh, you're that Egyptian. You, you led 4,000 people way out in the wilderness and, and a group of mercenaries and murderers. And Paul said, no, no, that's not who I am. He just gave him a little background about where he is from and who he was. And he said, please give me permission to speak. He said, all right. He said, I'll allow you to speak. Do you speak Greek? Because he could tell that he was kind of an educated man. He says, I'll speak to the people. And so when what we're going to do tonight, we're going to leave Paul kind of midstream. This is like one of those to be continued things, okay? We're going to leave Paul about midstream here. He's about ready to address these people that are wanting to kill him. He's going to silence them. Just kind of put his hand. He's going to silence them. He's going to speak to them in the Hebrew tongue or in Aramaic in their language. He's going to speak to them. And when he speaks to them, He's going to recount his experience of his conversion from Saul to Paul. He's going to show them how he once was the one that was trying to be vengeful and killing and all that, about how his life was changed. And so this, is the, this will be, we, we got Paul's account of his conversion in Acts 9. So this is the first time that Paul, we hear of Paul relaying his own conversion. And he's going to do it to these people, and he'll do it again in Acts chapter 26. And so there's two times uh, after Paul's conversion that he relays his conversion himself to people. Now, isn't that a kind little practice? What has Bishop over the years always told everybody? said, you, you don't have to know every in and out of the Bible. Sometimes what you need to share with people is your own personal story. Because nobody, the song, you don't know like I know what he's done. Nobody knows like you know what God has done for you and what changes and alterations happen personally in your own life. Nobody can refute your experience. Nobody can refute your experience and what happened to you. And so Paul is going to tell them his experience, and later he will tell it again before a king, King Agrippa. And so with that being said, I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand. There was really only one thing to really hang our hat on here tonight, and that was this. In the process of trying to be clear for certain people, we don't need to confuse other people. That's basically the story. That's basically the story here of the second half of the book uh, or of chapter 21. Paul was walking a fine line. Whether he did it successively, people could probably come with me and argue back and forth whether or not he did it successfully. But I believe there was a, a window there that he could have bred some confusion while at the same time brought clarity to somebody else. And so we got, we, we got, got to watch that. And so we're just going to leave Paul hanging here, standing on the stairs, silencing the crowd, about ready to talk to them and tell them his conversion story. However, I got good news. Everybody say good news. I got good news for you. Since Paul's going to recount his conversion story in chapter 22, there's probably some of chapter 22 we can frolic right through because we've... 
because we already covered Paul's conversion story back in Acts 9. So we won't have to just look at every little thing because we've already covered some of that and we'll just frolic through that. And so Sister Malone will be able to do that again in chapter 26. So highlight it in your Bible. Pastor will be able to go a little quicker here in chapter 26. Amen. Because just be retelling the story again. Hallelujah. And so there are things that we can learn. There's things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul. You know, sometimes we don't just learn by what people did that's right. We learn by what people did that was wrong. Or let me put it like this. We should learn. Not just by what people do that's right, but what they do that was incorrect. Learn from those experiences as well. Can we bow our heads in this place? I won't keep you longer. I'm just going to pray here a prayer over us here this evening as we close this service. Father, I come to you right now. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.